0: The parables are given as an act of judgment upon the unbelieving and as a further grace upon those previously enlightened. They serve to further divide people into two camps. Parables draw some people in closer and they push other people further away depending upon the prior state of the heart and depending upon the essential disposition of the person Towards Jesus Christ. That's part of their function. If you're already leaning towards faith, then they draw you in and they open up all the secrets of the kingdom. And that's exactly what we see them doing here with respect to the disciples. They want to know more. They draw near to Jesus and Jesus begins to unpack the mysteries of the kingdom.
1: Welcome to Into the Word with Paul Carter. I'm your host, Woody Woodland. Parables draw some people further in while pushing other people further away. For those who are leaning in, they unlock the mysteries of the kingdom. While for those who are pulling back, they only confirm them in their sense that the kingdom of God is foolishness and nonsense. Here to tell us more about that is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter.
0: Your Word is a lamp unto my feet. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it now to Matthew chapter 13. This chapter brings us to the end of the fourth section in Matthew's gospel, which we have titled Teaching and Preaching the Gospel of the Kingdom Against Rising Opposition. This section has been exploring questions related to why some people believe and some don't. And in it, we've observed Judaism progressively splintering into two distinct camps, those who are with Jesus and those who are opposed to Jesus. That continues to be the theme throughout this chapter. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables. Now, we should note here that of the five major discourses in Matthew's gospel, this is the only one wherein Jesus is said to have been addressing the crowds. Normally, he is presented as speaking to the disciples, sometimes with the crowds listening in. But here, Matthew says explicitly that he was addressing the crowds. Within the discourse, there are two major digressions which appear to have been given to the disciples, verses 10 to 23 and verses 36 to 43. So in a sense, this is the opposite of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount was to the disciples with the crowds listening in. This is a sermon to the crowd with the disciples listening in. And that probably explains why so much of this sermon is given in the form of parables. The parables of Jesus seem to serve the purpose of further dividing all of his hearers into two camps. Those who are with Jesus will see, understand, and be drawn further in by these teachings, whereas those who are not with Jesus will be confused, irritated, and further hardened in their opposition. We continue on with the story in verse 3. Jesus is preaching here in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, notice the phrase at the end, he who has ears, let him hear. All of these parables require prior conversion or enlightenment in order to be properly understood. This particular parable explores the question of why some respond to Jesus one way while others respond in a very different way. And the answer is that it depends on the state of their heart. Again, grace has to precede hearing. Faith is a gift. Understanding is a gift. We talked about that when we were reading chapter 11. In Matthew eleven twenty five 25 to 26, Jesus says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. So God has to do some work before people are able to see, understand, and believe. If the soil isn't prepared, then there will not be a harvest. And yet, as we recall from Matthew 11, there is an element of personal responsibility as well. And so we would want to look for that again here. And I think it's easy to see it. I think this parable is simultaneously warning people to guard their hearts. Beware of allowing the weeds to grow and the soil to harden. Because if you do, then even when good seed is thrown your way, you will not be in a position to receive it. We are responsible for whether or not we are positioned to hear and receive the word of the Lord. That's complicated, granted, and so we aren't surprised that the disciples want to come in for some extra help. Verse 10, then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance." Again, let's notice the function of the parables and the necessity of prior grace. The parables are given as an act of judgment upon the unbelieving and as a further grace upon those previously enlightened. They serve to further divide people into two camps. Parables draw some people in closer and they push other people further away, depending upon the prior state of the heart and depending upon the essential disposition of the person towards Jesus Christ. That's part of their function. If you're already leaning towards faith, then they draw you in and they open up all the secrets of the kingdom. And that's exactly what we see them doing here with respect to the disciples. They want to know more. They draw near to Jesus and Jesus begins to unpack The mysteries of the kingdom. Look at verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself but endures. this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. We should probably assume that these explanations were given later in another context, but are arranged here for the sake of the reader. With respect to the specific explanation given by Jesus, Note well that we cannot know whether a person is truly saved merely on the basis of their initial response to the gospel. According to the parable, many will respond enthusiastically, but because they have no root, no depth, no real understanding, and because they're distracted by the cares of the world, they will wither away and fail to grow to maturity. It is those who persevere and endure and bear fruit that are truly saved.
1: Pastor Paul, let me ask you about something here. I feel like this passage holds the key to unlocking one of the great mysteries or disagreements that Christians seem to have with one another. For as long as I can remember, Christians have been arguing with one another over whether a person can lose their salvation. Some people say, no, once saved, always saved— and that gives them comfort, particularly maybe as older parents whose children have maybe walked away from an earlier professional faith. And so I don't want to trample on that, but there are all kinds of verses in the Bible that seem to say that it is only those who endure to the end who are saved. Jesus says that twice in the Gospel of Matthew, and we've talked about that here on the program before, so I understand why someone would argue that people do lose their salvation. Some people start out, but then they don't endure to the end, and so they are not saved. I get that argument also, but I feel like this passage here in Matthew 13 might give us a framework for resolving this conflict. Am I right in that, or maybe being a little naive? No, I actually found this passage
0: determinative in my own journey with that question. Listen, generally speaking, when you have longstanding arguments between Bible-reading, Bible-believing Christians— it is because both sides of the argument feel like they have verses in their favor.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the thing here. On one side, Matthew twenty four thirteen, the one who endures to the end will be saved. And then on the other side, John 6 and 39, quote, This is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day, end quote. So, How do you break the tie when both sides have a really compelling verse? Mm -hmm.
0: Well, I would argue that you dig a little deeper into the meaning of those verses. And I think that this passage here in Matthew 13 can help us do that. What Jesus seems to be saying here is that some people do appear to be saved when in fact they are not. They respond initially with great enthusiasm. They run down the aisle. They they cry at the altar. They pray the sinner's prayer. They sign the commitment card. They immediately take membership. They raise their hands, and they sing louder than anyone else in the church. And yet, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. That's verse 21. Because they had no root. So Jesus has a category for people who look saved, who say that they're saved, who probably believe that they're saved, who initially act like they're saved, but who in fact are not actually saved because the Word of God did not truly penetrate their heart. That is a category. And I think recognizing that category could help break the tie on this long standing argument.
1: So, meaning that no one actually loses their salvation, but Some people we think were saved never really were.
0: Yes, exactly right. Uh, They were the shallow soil people, characterized by immediate but not enduring enthusiasm and response.
1: Okay, so that is a potentially game-changing category. But again, we don't want to dash the hopes of all the 50-year-old parents out there whose young adult children have walked away from their profession of faith. So what would you say to a person or a parent like that? Well, I would say that you need to
0: keep sowing the Word, and you need to keep praying for the Lord to break up the soil and to clear the way for humility and faith. To be honest with you, I think that's the value of this teaching. Honesty hurts sometimes, but if it keeps us praying and sowing, and if it results in one of those young adults actually coming to real and saving faith in Jesus Christ, then I think it's worth it. Stick in our heads in the sand, and pretending that our our child is saved when all of the evidence is pointing in the other direction, I think is a short-term strategy, to say the least. We need to deal with the truth, and then we need to pray into that truth, and then we need to sow into that
1: truth with every fiber of our being. Mm, Yeah, amen to that. Let's jump back into the story now at verse 24.
0: He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But he said no, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Again, this parable explores the question of why there are some people responding positively to the gospel of the kingdom and other people who are opposing it. The answer is, the master has an enemy. The enemy has his own seed, and the two crops are often hard to distinguish from each other initially. Thus, there will have to be a bit of a waiting period before we can effect any kind of accurate separation. Jesus will say more about all of this in just a minute. But for now, we should be careful to notice that this parable, like several others, assumes an indeterminate delay before the return of Christ. Verse 31, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. The meaning of this parable is fairly transparent. The kingdom will begin small, but will grow into the great kingdom of Old Testament expectations. Again, everyone expected a large and triumphant kingdom, but they did not expect such a small and inauspicious beginning. That's the new insight provided by this parable. Verse 33, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. The meaning of this parable is basically the same as the parable of the mustard seed. If there is a difference, it is the emphasis on massive transformation as opposed to simply massive growth over time. Verse 34. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Thus, the parables serve to reveal kingdom mysteries or secrets to those capable and inclined to hear them. Parables Simultaneously reveal and conceal. They pull some in and push others away. That's their power. That's their function in the ministry of Jesus. And we see that played out in the verses that follow. Verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. Just just pause there. One of the things you sometimes hear is that in parables, there's usually only one thing that means anything. Look for the main point. And, and, and sometimes we're discouraged from seeing multiple points of meaning. Well, here Jesus is saying that there are multiple points of meaning. So be careful about any one rule applied to all parables. All right, we jump back in at verse 38. I'll carry on. The weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all law breakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, notice that the field in this parable is the world, not the church. Thus the parable is answering the question, why has the kingdom come in this way? Why is it being opposed? Should we attack the people in the world who oppose it? And the answer is that God is seeding the world with his people, the children of the kingdom. And the evil one, the devil, he is seeding the world with his people too. And both groups are growing up side by side. And initially, at first anyway, it can be very hard to tell them apart. Therefore, our job is not to attack and expel those who resist the kingdom, For all we know, we might be attacking the children of the kingdom. We have to wait. We have to let this all play out. We have to be patient. In time, the truth will out. Trees will be known by their fruit. A clear distinction will emerge. And a final separation will be effected at the last judgment. At that time, all causes of sin and all sinners will will be gathered up and cast out of the kingdom forever. Then God's kingdom will be all in all and God's children will shine like the sun and the stars forever. The reference there is to Daniel 12, verse 3. Thus, we get to Daniel's vision of the kingdom at the end. Though the kingdom begins in ways he did not see or anticipate. He who has ears, let him hear. Verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like Here, the emphasis is on the superlative worth of the kingdom. Jesus is saying that the kingdom is so valuable that if you see an opportunity to enter it, you must do so immediately, even at the cost of all you have. Verse 47, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This parable is parallel to the one about the weeds in the field and has a similar meaning. Here, the focus is more narrowly on the final separation. The present situation characterized by a mixture of responses and an atmosphere of opposition is only temporary. At the end. All the opposers will be removed and will experience deep regret. Verse 51. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house, who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. The scribe in this short parable is a disciple who has been given the secrets of the kingdom. He is like the master of a house who brings out treasures old and new, which is to say that he is able to speak about the old, the Old Testament anticipations and the new, how those things are fulfilled and explicated by Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying, as you have just been taught, so teach others, verse 53. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. The theme for this whole section has been teaching and preaching the gospel of the kingdom against rising opposition. And here in this last story within the section, we learn that even in his own hometown, even in the place where you might least expect to find it, there are people opposed to the person and work of Christ. And and two, I think we are reminded that mere physical proximity to Jesus is no guarantee of saving faith transposing this into a contemporary key we might say that merely going to church merely being brought to church by your parents or grandparents does not guarantee that you will see and believe and delight in the person and work of christ some people are very far off and yet they see and some people are very nearby and yet they don't see That is one of the mysteries that Matthew's gospel is interested in exploring. Now, we should also say a word or two about the relationship between faith and deeds of power. Jesus can often be found in the gospels doing a miracle in the absence of perfect faith, but it would be contrary to the pattern of scripture for God to give out blessings in the context of persistent rebellion and disbelief. At this point in redemptive history, opposition to the kingdom is suffered and feeble faith must be frequently endured, but hostility and rebellion are not rewarded, nor will they ever be. Thanks be to God.
1: Well, that's all the time we have for this week. As always, friends, if you are looking for more Bible teaching from Pastor Paul, You can find that over at the Into the Word website at IntoTheWord.ca. Or you can download the Into the Word app at the iTunes Store or on Google Play. You can also connect with Pastor Paul and with other Bible readers on the Into the Word Facebook page. Just enter Into the Word into the search bar. And we'll see you right back here next Sunday morning as we continue our journey together through the whole counsel of God. We'll see you then. Your Word